are worlds between our own, and from these worlds there are written histories, both ancient and modern. To read of these testaments, scrawled in hidden places and on other things, you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you, and if successful, your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable folios known as the Dark Darkness. Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is The Dark Verse, testament scrawled in hidden places and on nether things, with the sole purpose of sharing with you a unique world of horror and fantasy that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. So, uh, once again, I've been away for, you know, a few weeks, a couple weeks more than I wanted to, but, uh... Here I am, back, I'm still ticking, still trucking. I actually, like for a whole week, somehow lost my voice, and I think you can kind of still hear that it's a little bit, uh, it's got a little something going on, it's still not quite back to where I would like it to be, but gotta do what you gotta do, and I have to get a story out there into the world, so here I am, and uh, I have a story to share you share with you and um this one's it's it's it is what it is basically it's just kind of a a a portrait that doesn't really have a crazy ending or a twist in the ending it just is what it is and it's a glimpse into something that i thought up and now i'm going to share it with you This is episode 76 of The Dark Verse, and it is entitled The Image of Odd Transaction and Collection. Head down this way, I motioned with my arms, directing the couple before me into the stairway leading down into the basement of my house. This will be the most exquisite collection you have ever seen, I promise you, I added. Very good, a man, clad in a black suit, an olive shirt and a pale yellow tie, replied. He then escorted the woman at his side down the stairs. The woman wore an elegant and vivid yellow dress that eclipsed her form flawlessly. I followed behind the couple. We entered the white-lit wonder of my basement. Black, velvet counters lined the walls and made aisles throughout the space. On these counters were displayed an array of ancient, unfamiliar jewelry that included bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, some sparkling, some dull, some with rubies, some with emeralds, some with diamonds, some silver, some gold, some carved in jade, some carved in ivory, some carved in stone, some carved in materials unknown. The arrangement of lights on the ceiling angled upon the counters perfectly and completely, leaving no piece unenchanted by the soaking of light. 
There were pieces in this collection older than the known civilizations of history, found by me, through means no archaeologist or historian could fathom. The couple was speechless at the sight. Peruse at your leisure, I said with a smirk. Take all of the time you need. Feel free to touch and try on. The couple slowly began meandering about my collection, at first together, to maintain some form of solace within the overwhelming awe, and then separate, as their senses finally settled and somewhat grew accustomed to the foreign glory. They walked around my jewelry collection for three hours, before convening again and deciding upon the piece they wished to leave the premises within their possession. We have decided on a piece, the man said to me as I patiently stood by the stairway. I walked over to where the couple resided so that they may reveal to me the item of their longing. This one, the woman said, speaking for the first time. She held up a necklace. Three little daggers of gold fell and hung by three thin, sturdy gold cords from a little gold crown. The crown and daggers, together, were suspended by twelve inches of thin, sturdy silver cord. Castifer's the symbol of the throne. An excellent choice, I said. How much will it be? The man asked, pulling from within his suit jacket a checkbook and a pen. I do not seek money, I replied. Then what? The man asked. I have endless resources. Not of what I want. I need a piece of you, or her. A finger or a toe, specifically. That's preposterous, the woman declared. Is it? I asked. It is my jewelry, and I will barter for it whatever I wish. And it is a fair trade if you ask me. The resale value of any single one of these items can purchase whatever your heart desires for the rest of your life. There's a carving table this way. I opened a long, narrow door in the back of the basement, which opened up into a steel-lined room. A steel table with a glistening knife rested in the middle of the room. On one wall was a sink and an accompanying counter upon which rested medical garments, including needles and vials of lidocaine. You are free to leave with all of your digits intact, but then the jewelry remains. Can you give us a moment, please? the man asked. Certainly, I replied. And must it be the entire finger or toe? Yes. The man took the woman by the wrist and brought her into the carving chamber. He then closed the door so that they may talk in private. They were civilized and elite people, and would by no means act irrationally or hastily in a decision to acquire or neglect a prize worthy of their eyes, and their eyes glowed with the radiance of deep, otherworldly lust. Forty-three minutes passed before the door to the carving chamber again opened. The man and woman exited the room. The man had a gauze taped securely over where the small finger of his left hand used to be. Very good, I exclaimed. How do you want the finger? The man asked, trembling. You may leave it just as it lay, I said while glancing into the room and spying the finger upon the table in a pool of crimson. Here is your necklace, I added, handing him the symbol of the crown. While the couple was in the carving room, I had placed the necklace within an ornate box in the event that they would carry through with the requirement of its ownership. Thank you, the man quickly said, taking the necklace and pulling the woman now pale and perspiring, along with him as he hurriedly exited my home. With my house bolted and satisfyingly secured, I entered the carving chamber where my payment lay. From beneath the sink, I retrieved a kit of small, sharp tools. Using these tools, I set forth upon the finger in work. 
I removed all of the blood and then pierced holes and burrowed chambers, creating airways within it. When complete, I took the finger and put it to my lips, the nail end of the finger propped between them. I blew air through the finger while using my own fingers to cover certain airways at certain times to create a pattern of notes. From the finger emanated the sound of my unearthly power. Tunes hollowed by flesh, tunes that crossed pathways of life to reach uncharted destinations of time that connected to the genetics and lineage of the instrument's owner. In unorthodox music, breath ricocheted through flesh, I controlled a method of subconscious transportation, allowing me to voyage on the frequencies of sound and thought to the origins and any other period within the timeline of those origins of things from places from before the ever-expanding universe ever existed. From each unique bloodline came different worlds beyond planets, conduits leading to matter from before the Great Migration, as described in Delia Lamel's fourth volume of Dissecting Life. Beyond the stars, I traveled to the regions of the origins of the purchaser of the symbol of the crown. Through images indescribable, I incorporeally leapt through the passages of his most estranged histories, adding to my memories the scenes and the feelings of times outside of possibility. It was a thrill like the departure into death, the coming into the final knowledge and revelation of all things. It was a witnessing of the palette before the vivid mysterious painting, while facing the demented nightmares that leech and latch and devour in the mind of the artist. Shadowlands, dark oceans, black space, and the pieces of unrefined matter crawling like intellectual predators tortured by the wisdom of future evolution. They were there, everywhere, waiting, praying, precluding the furthering of life for as long as time could bear. Every second harbored an animosity of deconstruction and imbalance, and in this tension, fear gestated at a rate of incomprehensible speed. I then retracted my travels forward in time, ascending the totem of ancestry, of particles and then organisms, and then creatures, and then beings of the owner of the symbol of the crown. I stopped in a time of primitive civilization where persons scoured land in necessity with primal intention and expression. From within their possessions, wrapped in the hides of beasts of old, I pilfered a bracelet crafted out of blue, malleable mineral. Not by physical obtainment, but via the map of its mass, I violated the object's source of existence with my ghost-like essence, transferring its code of form into my intangible, invisible, enigmatic cloud presence, taking it with me, as I then completed my journey home, to the carving chamber, to my body. When I returned to solid figure, I held an authentic replica of the blue bracelet beneath the flesh of my left forearm. With a knife, I slit that flesh and retrieved the item. I bandaged myself, cleaned the artifact, placed it within my collection, and then went to bed to let the visions of my travel coerce my dreams. That concludes episode 76 of The Dark Verse. You can download all of the past episodes at thedarkverse.com or from iTunes. If you have an extra second, please give The Dark Verse a star rating on iTunes. Also, from my website, thedarkverse.com, if you click on one of the links where it says buy The Dark Verse now, you can purchase a hardcover copy 
of the Dark Verse, which contains the first 26 stories. So, please do that if you'd like to support me. I would immensely appreciate it. And uh, have a great 2011. All stories on the Dark Verse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without my written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love. <laughs>